So we're talking about the life of Jesus. We're in this series, and um, what we're doing is we're looking at the life of Jesus uh, when he walked the earth, okay? We know that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus, the Word, has always been here, and He always will be here. But we're just examining that portion of time when He confined Himself in flesh and blood, just like you and I, and walked this earth and left for us an example. Amen? So we're going to examine some of that time and then to see how that relates to us. Now, one of the things that's very comforting for us, for me anyway, and it should be comforting for all of us, is that when God wrapped his word in flesh, in human flesh, he became like us in every way. He, he got hungry. He, uh, you know, got tired. Uh, he slept. He did all of those things. He became like us in every way except one, except one. And that is that he did not sin. He did not sin. Now, we know his blood was perfect because his blood came from the Holy Spirit. But his flesh was not. And when I say that, I don't mean that he didn't live a perfect life. I just mean his flesh was susceptible, susceptible to uh, sickness and, and, and being tired and hunger and all of those things, just like um, we are. Because if not, he couldn't be an example for us. Amen? Couldn't be an example for us. So... As we move forward in this series, we want to look at the incorruptible life of Jesus. Last week, we looked at the loving life of Jesus. And this week, we want to take a few minutes and look at the incorruptible life of Jesus. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have your Bible, um, let's go over to Hebrews chapter 4. And then after that, we're going to go over to 2 Peter. And we're going to look at these two passages of Scripture. Amen. So get over to Hebrews chapter 4. And we are going to look at verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. The New King James Version puts it this way. It says that for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. In other words, we have a high priest who can sympathize. That's what it's saying. He sympathizes with us and our weakness in all points, everything you go through. Don't feel like you're going through it and God doesn't understand what you're going through because the Bible says that he sympathizes with our weaknesses on all points. He knows what you're going through. And then it says... He, though, was without sin. He was without sin. Now, flip over to 2 Peter chapter 2. All right, 2 Peter chapter 2. And this is where I want to land for a few moments. 2 Peter chapter 2 is a very interesting passage of Scripture. There could be so many messages, sermons, sermon series out of just this passage of Scripture. But in 1 Peter, I'm saying, I said 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, beginning at verse 19, the Bible says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. Peter said, for this is commendable. What's commendable? Well, if because of conscience toward God, in other words, because your thinking and your thoughts are on God, 
that one, one meaning you, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now watch this. For to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us. He also suffered for us. Leaving us an example that you, you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin. Come on, committed no sin. <laughs> nor was deceit. One version says guile or guilt found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. And when he, was, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that passage of scripture and I really take it in, I'm saying, Lord, now listen, that's a tall order. That's a tall order. You know, to, to, to go through, you know, God saying, listen, when you do something wrong, you do something wrong and you come and you say, you know what? I'm sorry. You know, brother, I messed up and, uh, you know, please give me grace. Right. And, and, and someone gets on to you about it. You know, you shouldn't have done that. You got to do better next time. And you sit there and you take it patiently. Yes, you are right. Guess what? Good. That's what you should do. It's not commendable. It's what you should do. It's what Peter just said. He said, what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? You're supposed to take it patiently. But, he says, when you do good, when you do good, you don't turn away and say, goodness doesn't do anything for me. It's not worth it. When you do good and you suffer for it, this is commendable before God. And then he said this. To blow you away. He said, for to this, you were called. You were called to this. You were called. In other words, what, 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 what is he saying? Wait a minute, Lord. Wait a minute, Brother Mike. Are you just saying that God made my purpose to suffer? That's not what that's saying. That's not what that's saying. You don't want to know what he's saying? He's saying you are built to go through adversity. Because you have my Holy Spirit. You have my word. You are made. You are formed and you are shaped to walk on water in the midst of a storm. That's the way I made you. Nothing can come against you that you can't defeat because you have my Holy Spirit and you have my word. This is the way I made you and I formed you. You are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. I don't know about you, but I get excited when I think about it that way. Not just that I was called to suffer, but I was called that when suffering and adversity comes, I can make it through. I can walk on water in the midst of all of that. Nothing can come against me that can defeat me because I'm persuaded that neither life nor death nor things to come nor powers or principalities shall separate me from the love of God. That's what Peter is saying here. That makes you think about it a little bit differently, doesn't it? You were called to this. Jesus led an incorruptible life. 
Sounds like a tall order. Man, an incorruptible life. Well, let's just look at it. Let's just look at it. What is incorruptible? You know what incorruptible is? Incorruptible means incapable of being morally corrupted. But here's something that really blew me away when I thought about Jesus and an incorruptible life. Incorruptible also means, in addition to being morally corrupted, incorruptible also means not subject to death, decay, or disillusion. Do you know Jesus that walked the earth when he put on our flesh was not subject to death or decay? No, 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 no. You say, well, he died on the cross. What do you mean, Brother Mike? He wasn't subject to death. I'm telling you that the reason he died on the cross was not because he was subject to death, but because for God so loved the world that he what? Come on, somebody, that he what? He gave. He gave his life. No one took it. They didn't take his life. He gave it. He wasn't subject to death. He decided to do that to reconcile you to him that you would live the abundant life he called you to live. He gave his life, not subject to death. This man, Jesus, when he walked the earth, he lived a life like no other. He lived a life like no other. And, and, and what we have to understand for all those uh, who, who don't understand it, who maybe believe in, you know, the Big Bang and life came out of nowhere. You know, I'm, I'm like many of you, I believe in the Big Bang. You know what I'm going to say, some of you. That God said, let there be light, and bang, <laughs> there was light. But we have to understand that life comes from life. You can't have nothing, and then all of a sudden, life? Where does it come from? There's a hole in your theology. There's a hole in your theory when you start telling me that out of nothing came life. Little hole in that. I don't know why. So many people just take it for face value. Makes no sense at all. None. That, that's worse to me than having faith in a God you've never seen. You're telling me life came out of nowhere? Makes no sense. Life must come from life, and true spiritual immortal life must come from immortal life. You see, 1 Timothy 1.17 says this about Jesus, about God. It says, now to the king eternal, immortal. And that word immortal there, the same Greek word that translates to incorruptible. Immortal, incorruptible, invisible God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So first we have an immortal, incorruptible, life-giving God. He's there. And then over in John 5, 26, the Bible says, for as the Father has life in himself, watch this now, so has he granted the Son to have life in himself. So Jesus, the son, as he walked on earth, received his life from the father in heaven. Guess who else received their life from the father in heaven? The immortal, incorruptible life. Each and every one of us who is born again. The same way that Jesus received life on earth is the same way that we receive life when we accept Jesus, when we believe in our heart, the Lord Jesus, and we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, he is the Messiah. We believe that God raised him on the third day. We, we get life. We get this eternal, immortal life. We receive that. And it only comes from eternal, immortal life. That's where we get it from. But 
We falter because humans, as we live in this flesh, our flesh is not redeemed. Our spirit is redeemed, but our flesh is not redeemed. Romans 7, 24, Paul said, we're trapped. Who will, who will rescue me from this body of death, right? Who will rescue me from this body of death? With that thought in mind, it, 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 gives, it gives more weight to this old familiar verse in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You have it. You have it. Not when you die and go to heaven. That's not when you get eternal life. You have it when you accept the Lord Jesus. Just as Sister Cheryl was, was ministering to this man, if he, would, if he would, would get the revelation and say, yes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I confess that with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God raised him on the third day. He receives the immortal, eternal, incorruptible life right then, receives it right then. So we look at Jesus as he walked the earth, living this incorruptible life. Is there any hope for us? I mean, he's Jesus. Come on. I mean, after all, this is, he was God and he has perfect blood. So where does that leave me? Well, let's examine his life first of all. First of all, let's, let's examine a few things about his life and what he had to go through. Over in Hebrews 5, 6 and 8, I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you here, but I, I'm not the person to just give you one scripture and just start preaching and yelling and screaming and talking about something and you go away and say, yeah, that was a good sermon. can't remember anything. Come on now, we need some word. If you, if you want to live the overcoming abundant life, you need some word in you. Come on. Hebrews 5, 6, and 8. So you just have to forgive me for going to all these scriptures. Can't you just go to one, Brother Mike, and I can put my Bible down? No, you need your Bible the whole time or your device or whatever you got. Come on, we're going to have to keep reading it. Let's go. Hebrews 5, 6, and 8 said this. says, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, now watch this part, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. This is talking about the Jesus that walked the earth. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now let me just tell you, the word suffered here is not the same, uh, is not the same Greek word that translates suffered as when he died on the cross, when he suffered on the cross. Two different Greek words, all right? And the reason why I want to bring that point up is because uh, we learn obedience through our trials and tribulation and our suffering, but we will never have to suffer the cross. That's why I bring that up. Jesus did that once and for all time. You'll never have to go, though you deserve it, though you deserve it, you'll never have to endure it. You'll never endure the cross because Jesus did that for us. But this word suffering here in Hebrew 5.8, it's this Greek word pasho, and it refers to unpleasant experiences such as persecution. And it also means enduring a challenging process, watch this, that results in transformation of the one going through it. Do you not think that the disciples were transformed after being in a terrifying storm twice with Jesus and seeing him walk on the water and saying, fear not, it is I? And they're immediately to the other side. 
or him coming from a deep sleep after they woke him up and saying, peace be still and calming the storm. Do you not think that that was a transformative experience? When we go through things, that can be a transformative experience. Come on. It can either crush you or it can be the catalyst. Come on, to your victory. To your victory. And so Jesus chose to endure challenging people and situations because it was the will of God the Father for him. Now, after the process, Jesus' mission and purpose on earth, after all of that, it had been made perfect, which means complete, finishing the full course. He chose these things. In the case of Jesus, he finished his race. Come on, righteously. And with a comprehensive understanding of the human condition and suffering, he finished it that way. His human obedience was totally coming through with it, enduring extreme suffering, persecution, being talked about, all of those things. So when, and, and listen, I want to tell you, being a Christian, if you say I'm for Jesus, you say I'm for Jesus, you will be persecuted. You will be talked about. You will be offended. All of those things will come. How will you respond? Will you respond? Will that change you? Will you turn your back? Or will you stand? Will you stand? Because Jesus learned obedience through the persecution that he went through while he was on earth. While he was on earth, before he even got to the cross. Before he got to the cross. So number one, he learned obedience. The second thing we see here in 1 Peter 2.23, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.23, but he committed himself to the one who judges righteously. His whole life walking on earth, he was submitted to the Father. That word submitted also, the Greek word also can translate to committed. All right, he committed himself to the Father. All right. And that, that, that Greek word also translates uh, to this English word entrust. You ever heard this word entrust? Entrust. He entrusted his life to the Father while he was on earth. He entrusted his life to the Father. All right. And so, in other words, to commit to something, it means I, I give it to them in confidence. No doubt. No waning. Not like some of us do. You know, listen, I, I, I'm trying to do right. You know, I go to church. And, uh, you know, I, I do the best I can. But listen, I'm not Jesus. You know, that was Jesus. He was God. You know, I mess up every once in a while. And I, I can't do everything like he does it. You know, I, I fall down sometimes. And we just confess those things. Though it may be true. But we confess, though. We, you know what it is? It's not even so much that we confess. And we use it as an excuse. We use it as an excuse. Well, I'm not God. I can't do that. I can't, I can't do like what he did, right? He submitted himself to the Father. That means confidence. Everything I have, Lord, is yours. My thoughts, my dreams, my hopes, I submit them all to you and your word. Because I know I'll be successful. I know I'll be successful if I entrust them to you and your word. To subject to a treatment. You know what else? Submit means to sub subject yourself to a treatment or an operation. We submit our lives to God. We're giving him full authority to diagnose us and give us the remedy. 
And to submit and entrust means I'm going with that remedy. Most of you don't go to the doctor with some condition and the doctor says, well, listen, you got a pain right here. I'm going to subscribe uh, or I'm going to prescribe some, some pain medication that's going to take that pain and you take it home and go, well, yeah, I mean, it kind of will. Maybe I'll take one of them. You know, I mean, does the doctor really know what he's doing? Does he really know me? You know, does she really know my life? Maybe I'll take one of them. I won't take all of them. You know, I really don't know. No, most of you don't do that. You go, if you hurt and you go home and take every last one of them. Every time, twice a day, before waking up and going to bed, you trust that doctor. When you submit to God, you trust him in every way. When you speak his word, don't go back on it. Don't go, and I'm, I'm talking, listen, come on. Don't go back on it. You look in the mirror and say, you, 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 you. You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. Come on. This is the day that the Lord has made, and you are the apple of his eye. You have favor of the Lord. Come on. You are no longer under the curse of the law. You are walking in the blessing of Abraham. You, 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 you. Come on. And don't you go back on it. First time something goes wrong, go back on it. Don't do that. Don't do that. No, you keep walking. You keep going. You keep going. So he learned obedience. He was submitted to the father. He entrusted himself to the father. And then he was not distracted from God's word. Jesus was not distracted from God's word. First of all, he wasn't distracted by his enemies. I look over in Luke chapter 13. In Luke chapter 13, it's interesting to me because there were some Pharisees that came to Jesus. And if you remember, uh, the Pharisees were who Jesus came to bust up. What do I mean by that? He came, you know, he came, he came to break up all that, their, their religious ways, right? So they were offended by him. This, these were the Pharisees. But in Luke chapter 13, read it for yourself. Some Pharisees came to Jesus and they warned him. They said, look, man, hey, look, man, listen, you better get out of here. Herod's trying to kill you. The Pharisees warned him of that. Read it. Hey, hey man. Herod's trying to kill you. You know what Jesus said? He said, go tell that fox. See, that was a burn back in the day. He was, he was burned, see. Go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I shall be perfected. I journey today, tomorrow, and the following day. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. He wasn't distracted because he had an enemy and he heard something that, they, you know, Herod looking for you. I can tell you right now. I, I can tell you right now, beyond the shadow of a doubt, the devil's looking for you. He's looking for you. Better look out. He's looking for you. Now, you're going to run and hide or you're going to do like Jesus. You go tell that snake <laughs> that I'm about my father's business. Bring it. He better not be looking for me. He better not be looking for me because he's got something coming. Come on, you got the word of God for he, you just going to sing it and say it and not believe it for he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Do you believe it? Because your actions are what shows it. What you say shows what you believe. Come on. Go tell that snake. I'm right here. I ain't going nowhere. I'm right here. 3575 North Prow Road. Come get some. Come on now. Come on. He was not distracted by his enemies. Guess what? He was not distracted. Watch this one. This is an interesting one. He was not distracted by things that weren't his purpose. Yeah. 
he, he, was, he was somewhere and he was, he, was, he, 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 he was healing people and he was ministering, he was teaching, he was doing all this. And then the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse 42, when it was day, he departed, went to a deserted place and the crowd came after him. They found him and said, look, Jesus, we see you about to leave. Don't leave. Stay here with us. Now, who wouldn't like to be told that? I know I would. If I'm somewhere and, you know, and I, uh, you know, do some things and have a good time with people and I'm ready to go. And I say, wait, don't leave yet. We're just having such a good time. You know, who wouldn't like to hear that? And I believe Jesus wasn't upset with them. You know, he wasn't upset with them. But he said, listen, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. Because for this purpose, I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. He was there preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. They wanted him to stay. And he said, listen, I love y'all. I do. I love y'all, but I got to go because everybody needs to hear this. I got to get this to as many people as possible. He wasn't distracted even by good things that weren't part of his purpose. How many good things come that are not part of your purpose, but they distract you? I know I've fallen victim to that so many times in my life because I love good things. Well, I'm doing this, but maybe I'm supposed to do that. That's a good thing. Somebody said that. They said, you're a good this, or you're a good that, so I'm going to go try that. Wait a minute, what's your purpose? What's your metron? Look that Greek word up sometime. What's your metron? Stay on that. Don't get distracted. And finally, he wasn't distracted by threats. <laughs> Watch this one. Over in Luke chapter 4, verse 28. It said, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. You, re you probably remember this story. They were furious, and it said, jumping up, they grabbed him. And they took him out. Now imagine the scene in your mind. They, they grabbed him and they took him out to the edge of town, cliff. And they was ready to throw him over. We're, we're tired of you. We're sick of you. And somehow, I don't know how it happened, but somehow the Bible says Jesus just walked through them. They're furious. They were a little bit upset. Read it. It, I, I'll read it. It says, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. And they intended to push him over the cliff. But he passed right through him. Just passed right through him. How was he able to do that? Because he wasn't distracted by threats. You're going to get threats when you stand for Jesus. But he wasn't distracted by threats so often. And we've all probably fallen victim to this. Listen, we're human beings and in our flesh, we are the kind of people that if somebody says something about you, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I mean, if somebody comes to me and says, you know, Brother Mike, you, you know, you all right, but you ain't that great of a preacher. I, I want to say, well, when's the last time you preached? You ain't that good of a teacher either. It's just as a natural thing that comes to mind or whatever it is. You know, people come and say something. It's just a natural thing that comes to mind. But don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by threats. You know what you're supposed to be doing. And, and, and the only person's word that you should take to heart is God's word. Come on. He'll tell you who you are, not other people. Not other people. And so we know that Jesus' blood was perfect. We know that. His blood was perfect. It wasn't like our human blood. Come on. 
And, and the reason for that is because there could be no other sacrifice other than perfect blood that would satisfy the penalty of sin. That's why his blood had to be perfect. We know that. But our hope is here. Here's our hope. Is his flesh. Again, not that he didn't walk a perfect life. Hear me now. His flesh wasn't perfect. It was like ours, susceptible to temptation. The Bible says the devil tempted him, but he didn't sin. Susceptible to, uh, you know, sickness and disease and hunger. It was susceptible, but he didn't fall to those things. He never sinned. Where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Well, there is hope for us because even though we weren't born with perfect blood like Jesus was, our hope is to be born again. Amen. You should already be, most of you, and if you're not, you can be born again. Now watch what it says about that though. Watch what it says about it in 1 Peter 2.23. We already read it. Watch this, 1 Peter 2.23. Watch it. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed. This is talking about you now, not Jesus. Talking about you. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. There's our hope. There's our hope to be born again. And in, and in the book of John chapter 3, that literally translates when we say born again because Nicodemus had the same question many of us would have. What do you mean, Lord, to be born again? Can I go back into my mother's womb? And, and, and that literally translates to be born from above. Born from above. That means the Holy Spirit. Just like when Jesus was born, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that planted the seed. Now, your flesh is not redeemed. This flesh is going to go away. You're going to get a new body. But listen, don't wait till that day. You're an overcomer now. The kingdom of God is here now. You know what John said? He was baptizing in the River Jordan and Jesus came. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. You know what else he said? He said, the kingdom of God is is at hand. That doesn't mean it's coming, it's around the corner. That means it's right here, right now. You see it. The kingdom of God is here. Can I tell you something this morning? If you're born again of incorruptible seed, then the kingdom of God is right here, right now in you. You can live a kingdom life right here, right in the midst of all of the high gas prices and coronavirus and wars and all of the things that are going on all around. We must be aware of all of those things because we're to change those things. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, come on. Then I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. So it's up to us. But we have to know that in the midst of all of those things, we are the ones who bring the kingdom of God. Jesus said, people are going to look. Is it there? Is it there? No. Guess what? The kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. It's within us. We have the kingdom of God. And so God wants you to know this morning, no matter what you're going through, no matter what our society and our world is going through, that you are an overcomer, that you are more than a conqueror, that you are under the blessing of Abraham, and you are no longer under the curse of the law. And what he's encouraging you today to do is to start living like that. Don't try to get it. 
You have it because you're born of incorruptible seed. This outer flesh is corruptible, yes. But you, the real you, is incorruptible. See, here's what you have to think of it as. This body, this body is just like your shoe. All right? You can, you can see the outside of it. You can shine it up a little bit. I hope you do. Take a shower or something. Put a little lotion on or something like that. You can make it smell good. Make it look good. But if I take my foot out of this shoe, that shoe just going to sit there. The shoe got no life in it. It, should, it, just, it doesn't have any spiritual life in it at all. It's just going to sit there until I put my foot in it. That's just the way your, your body is. It's not the real you. It's a house. It's a house. It's your outer shell. So it's corruptible. Don't worry about that. See, and that, but that's what we judge by. You know, we look in the mirror and we get on a scale and we do all of those things and we say, um, um, um. Guess what? Don't say, um, um, um to that. Right? The real you is not that. The real you is incorruptible. Now, the real you can do something about that because it's your body. You take care of it, the real you. Come on. But Jesus, when he walked the earth, he was incorruptible. And the hope for us is that we can live the same way that he did. Because when we first started, we read a scripture that said in 1 Peter chapter 2 that he was an example for us. What does example mean? That means you can live like that. He wouldn't say that if it was impossible for us to live that way. We can. Don't be discouraged if you fall or fail. You can live like that, and we need to have that hope. Amen?